Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Lessons for Living. His word so fresh in our hearts abound. His word made flesh in the here and now. A new life is beginning. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. It is not easy, Pastor Chuck says, to maintain the unity of the Spirit on these matters. Probably some of you are out there are already, oh, but, 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 okay, relax. It seems that the sovereignty of God and human responsibility, we don't know how they work together. Basically, we believe they're parallel lines that the only time we'll see how they blend together is when we get to heaven. Free will or election. Do you even know what these terms refer to? These have to do with two major points of view in the Christian church regarding salvation. One view believes that man is the main decision-making agent in his salvation, while the other believes that God is. Pastor Mark will be going through both of these viewpoints in his teaching today. You'll find out that the main concern in the scripture passage is with those who are currently following Christ, that they might stop following him. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of this broadcast. Now, here's Pastor Mark in Hebrews chapter 6 as he begins his message, The Dangers of Backsliding and Apostasy. Being right with God, I personally can't think of anything that's more important in your life, in my life. What does the Bible say about being right with God? Can we know what constitutes someone who is right with God? Can we understand from the Bible what it means to be secure in our salvation. What part does God play? And what part does human responsibility pray? If you will, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12. I'm going to read it to you in the New Living Translation. As we approach this subject tonight... All of you come from different backgrounds. If you come from up north, until you moved down here, you didn't have any clue what grits was. And certainly that stringy stuff called okra was abhorrent to you. If you lived down south, you didn't understand the things that we did up north. In the con- Rutabaga? What is a rutabaga? So you and I come from all kinds of backgrounds. But you need to understand, as we talk about this subject, as I said in my prayer, it's been debated for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. 
And the Bible in the New Living Translation simply says this, verse 12. Now we see things imperfectly as in a cloudy mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. We approach in these verses 4 through 6, undoubtedly the most controversial passage in the New Testament. There are wonderful Christians and brilliant Bible teachers. I certainly don't count myself one of those, just an average teacher. But there's brilliant Bible teachers who find themselves in one of two major camps. In fact, in this room, we have people at least in two major camps. Even though Calvary Chapel has a statement on this, there are some Calvary Chapel pastors that find themselves in a camp. Let me just say this. Born again, filled with the Spirit of God, followers of Christ in both camps will be together with us in heaven. So relax. You say, you mean somebody can differ? Absolutely. Because we see through a glass darkly. Everything we see here, I can explain to you from both sides. It's very easy. And let me just say this kindly to you. Please, when I finish, don't send me all your scriptures that go this way and that way. Being in this as many years as I have, I doubt, there may be, I doubt that there's a scripture that I haven't come across. So you're going to have that. Relax. We're going to be with people in heaven that differ on some of these issues. It's okay. So we want to have an attitude of love as we approach this. Now, what I want to do is read a little bit from Pastor Chuck, who's our pastor, over the Calvary Chapels. And let me just read a few statements. You're going to have to put your thinking cap on a little bit. Then we're going to go in right into the scripture. And let me say this as a preface. Calvary chapels are just a wonderful group of churches around the world. We are not perfect churches. We are far from it. We don't claim to have all the light, no more than anyone else. There are no perfect pastors in the Calvary chapels. Our churches are just filled with people like you and me. So we're human. So we're just like everybody else. We have some distinctives that are different than other people. It doesn't make us better. That's just our distinctives. So let me read to you tonight this. Calvary chapels try to avoid confusions, conclusions, terminology, and arguments which are not clearly presented in the Bible. In no area of controversy is this approach more essential than in the long-simmering debate between Calvinists and Arminians. In the midst of this heated argument, it's easy to ignore or neglect the plain statements of the Bible or to believe that we have the ability to fully understand all the ways of God. But how tragic it is when we become more concerned with being right than with being loving. There's an attitude that's beginning. So I won't go through all of it, but in this paper from Costa Mesa, we go through the five points of Arminianism. I'll just mention them to you. Free will, conditional election, 
universal atonement, obstructional grace, and falling from grace. On the other side, in our article, we'll talk about Calvinism. As you know, they have an acrostic called TULIP, and they talk about total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and the perseverance of the saints. Now, what about the Calvaries? Let me just mention a couple of these things quickly, and then we're going to go through our teaching. In election, we believe that God chose the believer before the foundation of the world based on his foreknowledge, God's all-knowing. And he's predestined you and I as believers, Romans chapter 8, to become conformed to what Christ looked like. Unlike the Calvinists, we believe there's salvation offered to all. The Bible says many places, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So we believe, unlike the Calvinists in that particular point, let me just mention that to you again, that there is unconditional election. In other words, there are only certain people that are going to, and limited atonement, I'll get to that in a moment. There's only certain people that God elects to become Christians. And anyone else can't become a Christian. So there's no use in offering them an opportunity to do it because God's already decided who is and who hasn't. We don't believe that's true, personally, and as a fellowship of churches. We believe, obviously, that the elect are those that God already knew are going to choose, but he offers salvation to every single person. It's God's will that none perish. So we differ in that one. God clearly chooses, but God then says to man, do you receive me or do you not receive me? So we believe there's free will. I'll have more to talk about that in a moment. They believe in limited atonement, that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, Calvinists, that his atonement was only for those elect people. He didn't die for the whole world. That's hard for us to understand because John 3.16 said, God loves the whole world and died for the whole world. And of course, as we go on, they would say in this other point that God's grace cannot be resisted by man. In other words, if God wants to save you, you will accept. You have no choice. There's nothing of your choice in it. You're elected. You're done. You're free. We believe God's grace is a gift that I can either receive or reject. And of course, perseverance of the saints, I'll have a lot to talk about it. Let me just say a couple other things quickly. It is not easy, Pastor Chuck says, to maintain the unity of the Spirit on these matters. Probably some of you are out there are worried, oh, but, 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 Okay, relax. It seems that the sovereignty of God and human responsibility, we don't know how they work together. Basically, we believe they're parallel lines that the only time we'll see how they blend together is when we get to heaven. And so we believe that some of these things are past finding out. I can be a Calvinist, very simply. I can take you through all the scriptures and convince you that all their points are right. On the other hand, I can be an Arminius. I can go through and show you all those. Somewhere in between there, 
is the balance. And so Calvary chapels, when we come to those areas, we don't take a dogmatic stand. I'll show you kind of where we stand with all of this as we go through. So you might want to say, as Calvary Chapel people, we're Calvin Arminius. You won't find that word in the dictionary because there is no such word. But we see truth in both sides. Now, saying that, here's the first things you want to write. And I'm not going to go deep into this because we're going to get right into the passage. Arminian dangers. What's the danger of the Arminian philosophy or theology? Well, number one, little assurance in our salvation. Many of us that were raised with that, you were always at the altar on a Sunday night because you sinned and were afraid if God came, you'd go right to hell. So there's almost no assurance that you're saved. Second, The danger of the Arminian is there's too much emphasis on what man does and not enough on what God does. Too much man, too little God. What's the danger simply in the Calvinistic? Well, here's the big one for me, and I'll speak from my heart about it. It raises sometimes a false assurance of salvation, regardless of a person's lifestyle. The other is, there's almost no emphasis or very little emphasis on man's responsibility. It's God elect, God chosen, God's the one that does it. You don't really have any choice. Now, let's go to our passage, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4. Here's where the controversy begins. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away to be brought back to repentance, because to their loss... They are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. So the whole controversy in this particular passage is who are these people Paul is writing about? Who are they? Notice what the New King James says. These people were once enlightened. Tasted the heavenly gift, partakers of the Holy Spirit, tasted the good word of God and the powers of age to come. Now, here's where the controversy comes. Who are these people? And there's three groups, mainly two. You'll see that in a moment. Who are these people that the writer's talking about? That it's impossible for them to ever be brought back into repentance. First group, there's many people how can I say this? Probably true. By and large, huge percentage of teachers, people that you know well, believe in, number one, that these people were never real Christ followers. They're only professing followers of Christ, which we know isn't a real relationship with Christ. They go through all the acts, they do all these things, but they believe that this passage is talking about those individuals. Well, of course, it's impossible with them because they never really were believers in the first place. 
Okay, that's number one. Number two, amazingly, there's a lot of people, not as many, not even close as many as first one and three, but that this was nothing but a hypothetical situation. In other words, Paul wrote a warning about something that could never happen. So we're throwing that one right out right from the start. Why would God spend time in this book warning me about something that could never happen? It was just hypothetical. What if? There's enough of the other real things that we need to work on. Here's number three. A huge percentage of Bible teachers believe this. These individuals written about here in verses 4 through 6, again, the Hebrew people, probably living in Italy, are true Christ followers who could abandon Jesus as the way to salvation. In other words, these were real followers of Christ who could become apostates. So how do we decide what that is? I'll just give you context and ideas. You have to make your own mind up. Let's go back to verses 1 through 3, same chapter. And let me just ask you these questions. You see, when we teach about these areas, we try to let the Bible interpret the Bible. We try to look at the whole part of Scripture and see what God's saying. And from that, we get our theology. We get our, the lens that we look through in Scripture. So you just can't take verses 4 to 6 and pull it out. You need to read it in context. Just think about, even if this wasn't an issue for you, we've been talking about all through the book of Hebrews, certain individuals. Well, what kind of individuals were those? Well, let's look. Therefore, let us leave the elemental teachings about Christ and go on to what? Maturity. Let me ask you a question. Does a professing Christ follower go on to maturity? No, they don't. Not a professing. A real follower goes on. A professing person just professes, but nothing takes place in their life. I'll have more to say about that later. How many people are you around that say, you say to them, you'll see us in a moment, I'm a Christian. Really? Fred Thompson. Go to church? Well, when I visit my mom. During the week? Well, no. Is the Bible the key in your life? Well, I'll kind of get the way I live life around the kitchen table. But I was baptized in a church. Now, careful, because here's where we get to a hard thing. Going on, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and faith in God, instruction about baptism, laying on hands, the resurrection of the dead, and God permitting, we will do so. In this context, I believe without question that Paul is talking about Christ followers, absolutely, People who have left Judaism, accepted Jesus Christ, and he warns them, get past the foundation as a baby. We finish chapter 5, where he says you have to move on to maturity now. You already have the basics down. You got the ABCs down, but the Bible is not ABCs. The Bible is A to Zs. So you need to move along. Also, notice earlier in some of the chapters, maybe it was chapter 2, Paul said this, careful that you don't drift away. Drift away from what? If you're not really a follower, what would you have to drift away from? So as we look at this, 
And we look at these terms, enlightened, taste, partakers of the Holy Spirit, taste of the good word, the powers of age to come. In the Calvary chapels and myself, we believe Paul is defining real Christians, real Christ followers, not somebody that just plays at it, puts on an act, but he's warning them, and as they mature in their life, keep past the ABCs, keep moving, be careful, because you could make a U-turn. We'll see that as we move through. Well, look at those terms that you see there. Look in verse 4 through 6 again. Enlightened. And it's amazing to watch the people who are wonderful Christians. We're going to be with them in heaven, and they will dance all around this. Well, the person's enlightened. When I say enlightened, these people have experienced the light of God shining on them. To me, that's the renewal of the mind and the heart. Jesus is the light of the world. And he shined his light into their heart. They're enlightened. They're followers of Christ. They've tasted. I was reading one of the individuals who believes the other way. They believe the word tasted is they just took a little sampling. Well, if that's true, in Hebrews 2.9, the same word is used. It says Jesus tasted death. Was it a little sample? No, he tasted it totally. So what is tasting more? It's more than head knowledge. It speaks of a full, real experience. The heavenly gift is salvation. They've received and tasted of the heavenly gift, salvation. Partakers of the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit comes into us at the moment of salvation. If not, he remains alongside of us. So they are partakers of the Holy Spirit. They received the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has sealed them into the body of Christ. They've tasted the good word of God. In other words, they began to experience the goodness that comes from God's word. And of course, they see that as you do in your life. Last, the powers of the age to come would be talking about God's supernatural power. The ones written about in verses 4 through 6 that Paul is writing to, they have tasted and experienced the range of salvation, of leaving the old Judaism and moving to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, notice in here it says, if they would fall away. If you're not a real believer, what would you fall away from? So we believe these are real believers, real Christ followers, real Christians, whatever term you want to use, that were being warned about one thing. Don't leave Jesus. Today, Pastor Mark dove into the topic of can a Christian leave the faith? You heard the writer of Hebrews worry about his readers deciding to return to Judaism or idol worship. You were also introduced to the competing theories of Arminianism and Calvinism. You learned the basics of both and how they apply to the life of the Christ follower. 
There's so much to learn from Pastor Mark's current series, so be sure to join us again. In the meantime, we'd like to offer you a CD copy of today's message for your own archives or for you to share with friends and family. Visit LessonsForLivingRadio.com and click on Order a Message at the top of the page. There you'll be asked for the mailing information and be sure to include today's date. Each CD costs $5 to cover materials and shipping. Again, to order your CD copy, visit LessonsForLivingRadio.com. In his next teaching, Pastor Mark will continue in The Dangers of Backsliding and Apostasy. You'll hear about the writer of Hebrews warning his listeners of the dangers of leaving God once they had experienced the truth. You'll be reminded about the amazing and risky love of God and that He's willing to let you have your way even to your own eternal doom. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Mark continues teaching through this series. That's next time on Lessons for Living. in a hurry.